Hey, 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 welcome Panic Pixies. I am extremely excited to introduce this episode to you. Um, in this episode, we're talking about they look like people, um, and mostly we want to give you some content warnings because there's going to be some strong discussions around things like psychosis, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, mental illness in general, and lots of other things. Please do check the description for a full list of content warnings. Also, we've got some super exciting news. Um, the Panic Pixies have moved in together. That's right, the Panic Pixies now live in the same house. So after socially distancing ourselves and not being able to see each other for over a year and the entire of this podcast being recorded remotely, we now actually live under the same roof. So that's really, really exciting for us. But also it has meant that we have been a bit late getting everything up and ready. Um, but hopefully from now on in, we will be on a regular schedule. As I say, really excited about this episode. I hope you like it as much as I do. I think we talk about some really interesting and really important stuff and we'll be really pleased to get your feedback on it. Enjoy. Hello, this is Panic Pixie Screen Girls, a podcast about horror and anxiety with Holly and Becky. I'm Holly and this is Becky. Say hi, Becky. Hi. And then we've got special guests this week to discuss the film They Look Like People. We've got our good friend Jane. Hello. All-round awesome person. Hooray! Um, Counsellor, mental health guru. Um, <laughs> 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 tell, tell, us, tell us about you. <laughs> question mark. That's not really. Right. <laughs> we could cut that bit out if you want. No, no, I think it, like it's Guru should always have a question mark at the end of it. Um, so yeah, I am a therapist and a mental health worker, a big horror fan and your friend and Yay. stuff and things. <laughs> Good. So you're going to talk to us about the film you've chosen, They Look Like People, mm -hmm. which is a 2015 film directed by Perry Blackshear, which I just think is a really good name. <laughs> totally made up, obviously. <laughs> and it's his debut film um, we were talking before and the only other film I've seen that he's directed was a film called The Siren which came out in 2018-19 I think which I really really like um, are there any other films of his you've seen? apparently he's got one coming out soon called Ogre oh, so yeah. that could well, be quite interesting so this is a psychological horror the main characters are Christian and Wyatt who are two friends who reunite after not having seen each other for some time, going through issues in their own lives. And Wyatt thinks that humanity is being taken over by some form of evil creatures. He's hearing voices. We don't know whether it's psychosis or whether there is some kind of impending demon apocalypse. And it follows their journey over Wyatt staying with Christian over a few days. So let's talk to Jane about some of the things that scare her. What, what are you scared of? What frightens you? What frightens me? Um, remembering things that I've done on a night out. That's a pretty terrifying <laughs> experience. 
I don't know. Um, heights. Heights is a really big one for me. I actually have horrible, horrible dreams about being on an airplane and heights generally. I just I can't bear them. And I think it's I think with planes, like being in the plane, it's because I can feel the fact that like I can feel gravity pushing down on me. And it's just like, oh, and I can feel the plane when it accelerates. I'm like, this is not right. This is not what I should be doing. If I was meant to fly, I'd have wings. Why don't I have wings? Yeah. So being on a plane is one of the most terrifying things for me. And I cry every time I'm on a plane. And oh. it's really embarrassing for everyone that's with me. <laughs> But you do still do it, so that's quite brave. Well, I mean, you kind of have to. It'd take a really long time to get anywhere. Not that we can go anywhere anyway, but, yeah. you know. Not right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. What am I frightened of? Pandemics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can all add that to our list of current years. <laughs> um, what about films that you watch? What type of horror films scare you? So the ones that scare me are supernatural ones. I can happily sit. This is kind of how I found this film, right? So my hangover cure is basically to stay in bed, shout at my husband to bring me lots of tea, and then watch a horror film, usually a slasher, because I quite enjoy the running around and the far too beautiful actors, you know, dying in horrible ways. It's very cathartic when you feel really crappy. Um, <laughs> so that's how I found this. And I was like, oh, la la. And then this was not a, a slasher. And then this was actually quite wonderful, wonderful movie. But generally, slashers are, are where at my go-to and things like Saw and Hostel, all of the stuff that people are like, oh, no, it's too gory. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> More blood and guts. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Yes, please. But supernatural stuff scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I'm probably, like, I don't really like films that are super gory unless there's, like, a sort of twist or a clever element. Like Saw, yeah. I like the Saw films because there's really interesting stuff in there. Right? Yeah. yeah. But generally, if it's lots of blood and guts and gore, unless it's quite cartoony, like some of the, you know, an 80s slasher where it's just like blood splurting and it doesn't even look real. Like I spend a lot of my time going, arterial blood is not that colour, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> but yeah, then generally I'm not really into that. What about you, Holly? I like, so I think I mentioned before that I'm pretty into Italian uh, giallo films and technically those are slashers. But I'm not sure whether it's the slasher elements that I like. I think it's specifically the kind of visual style of them and the kind of over-the-topness that I like. I don't like a lot of realistic violence, I guess. Yeah. I feel quite a nostalgia for films like Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer now because that's kind of my teens and then the kind of fun, kind of self-referential. I'm pretty excited about the new Scream movie that's going to come out soon. Mm. I, mean, I, mean, I did enjoy the Scream series. They're, they're just so clever. Yeah. And particularly at the time, it was just like really kind of freshened up the whole scene, didn't it? But we watched, because um, the husband hadn't seen Halloween, so we watched Halloween the mm. other week. <laughs> like, Yay, this is so good. I'd forgotten how good it is. Also really funny in parts. Just like the way that he disappears He's just standing on the street and then all of a sudden she looks again. Like, where did he go? Is he like hiding behind the bush? Like, where the hell did he disappear to? Maybe he was a helium balloon all along. (laughs) (laughs) Gliding away. That would be quite horrifying. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> so Jane this is a podcast particularly about horror and anxiety and I guess how we explore our fears and maybe manage them as people with anxiety why do you think people with anxiety are particularly drawn to horror films um it's silly because I knew the question is coming and I, I find <laughs> I, I have no answer I think it's a really nuanced reason. I think there's something to be said about experiencing the emotions and the fear, which if you have anxiety, you're constantly having that hypervigilance and to actually have somewhere to focus it in a, even if it's just projecting it onto the individual that you're watching. I think that there's something quite cathartic in that. It's actually quite nice to have a break from having that anxiety over your own environment and to place it onto a different environment. Like, oh, good. All of this constant feeling of fizz that I have is now being used mm. in that lead character who's running away from the man with the giant knife rather than, oh, my God, my house is falling in on top of me because there's a crack in the ceiling. Um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a holiday, I guess in some ways and I think I think there's also just elements of the fact that we enjoy the spectacle of horrific stuff happening to mm. somebody else I, that sounds very negative towards humanity and I don't mean it to be but I think there's something yeah. there is an element of that we enjoy the spectacle of it because it's not us that's really interesting so it's kind of like you know schadenfreude is a thing isn't it you know mm. other people's misfortune yeah. people do whether they want to believe it or not find something either cathartic or even funny in that so that's why things like slapstick are amusing to people and yeah. somebody who's been really awful say for example oh let me just think trump uh <laughs> and then when they get banned from twitter say and you just know that that's really traumatizing their life mm. you're actually kind of quite glad about it even though actually that's a bit mean but they deserve it you can rationalize it so there's something interesting about how we might do that in horror films because quite often sometimes they're innocent victims but quite often in modern horror they tend to be people that have done something wrong or mm. bad. so that can be quite I don't know gives us a sense of justice and like sort of if we think back to things like you know we we're talking about scream and stuff which is done very much in cheek and there's you know you mentioned that whole element of humor you know, humour is often a way in which we get to say the things that we can't say, or we get to, you know, the amount of comedians beloved for saying some quite horrendous things. And yet, I know I will quite happily sit there. I happen to like quite a lot of quite verbal uh, comedians. Um, but again, it's the repressed feelings, the repressed mm. rage, the sadism that we all have in us. And it's getting it a chance to work out, but in a really safe way where we're mm. not actually hurting anyone. And through I kind think. of personas, I guess, because mm -hmm. um, I quite like um, Julia Davis, mm -hmm. the comedian, yeah. like kind of uh, very dark and just incredibly selfish and malignant characters that just focus on getting their own way always and say just the worst things you could think of at any point. Because I quite like there's her podcast with Vicky Pepperdine called uh, Dear Joan and Jerrica, 
which is a kind of a sex advice show. It's funny because it's done in a really cosy kind of Radio 4 Women's Hour way, but the content <laughs> of what they're actually saying is just like, oh my God, they're incredibly misogynistic, kind of just <laughs> horrible, judgmental, kind of sadistic, just the things, and bizarre, I mean, and quite surreal. I think it's just like taking a break from being ethical and humane and just, yeah. Yeah. It's all the id getting what it wants without the super ego kind of being like, no, stop that now. (laughs) (laughs) When we spoke to Kat about the descent, we talked a bit about like externalizing intrusive thoughts and stuff Mm. and working through them to kind of see horrific situations. Stuff with the body, I guess, with gore and things as well, like slashers. It's the taboos of like inside outside and, you know. blood and and also like what does that whole idea of you know body form anyway like not the pads first body form form. (laughs) (laughs) other sanitary products are available yeah Um, (laughs) maybe we could get a sponsorship (laughs) (laughs) but like um are we comfortable in our own skins Mm. like that's a big question for a lot of people i think the answer for a lot is no not really Mm. So I think it plays into all of these sort of, we keep hidden. And mm. in horror, you've got it all just there. Just like, <laughs> hey, baby, take a look. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so um, what's particular draws you to this film? Yeah, so for me, like I said, I was there doing my hangover. I'm going to watch slasher film. And then I watched this and it was such a real film for me because I I do identify as someone who um, has experiences of hearing voices. Although for me, for the most part, it takes a space of visuals rather than actual voices. Like literally the start of it where uh, Wyatt is lying in bed with his partner and the noise starts and it's darkness and you cannot see her face. And I just knew. I didn't even need to read what was going to happen in the rest of the film. That moment, I was like, I know exactly what this film is about. I know exactly what this person is going through. And I think it's really beautifully done. And I actually showed it to the husband. And uh, I don't know if it's okay to say this, but we watched like movies on a Sunday night and we watched images. And and there was that moment with a woman as like, she's in bed, she turns around. It's like this different man who's in bed Mm. with her. And it kind of is like that. It's like trying to explain to someone who you're very close to that actually sometimes they aren't who who they are. And there's part of you that knows that they are still who they are, but there's also a part of you going, this person, this is not my person. This is, I don't know who this is. This is, you know, terrifying right now. And I just think this movie does it really, really well. Really interesting. I guess you have such a personal take on this film yeah. because it obviously speaks to sort of, elements of psychosis that you kind of have like direct experience of is that okay to use as a term i think it's a way for people to understand it is not a term i would use it is not a term that many people who have these experiences would use um we would usually use the umbrella term of hearing voices and that's also kind of one of the things that i sort of wanted to mention is that that term hearing voices it's umbrella and Mm -hmm. it's visions, it smells, it's touch, it's taste, it encompasses all of that. It encompasses being in an alternative reality as well. And also it's something that's super, super, super common. Like the amount of people that have heard their phone go and actually it's not gone 
or they hear someone shout their name and actually no one's around or feeling something touch them or smelling someone like smelling someone's like a really common thing to happen especially if you've lost someone but because of the whole connotations around it being psychosis or being under the diagnosis of psychosis people don't talk about it and actually it's quite it's actually really really common obviously on a scale so some people have incredibly debilitating experiences of hearing voices much like the character Wyatt you know his whole life is completely like falling apart around him because of his experiences and I think even in the movie he turns around and says I'm not schizophrenic I've had the test I mean I'm not quite sure what what test that is (laughs) but (laughs) because it's usually just depending on you know what psychiatrist you have but yeah the terminology can be Mm. tricky And for some people, that terminology is unhelpful. Yeah. And for some, it's really helpful. Yeah. You're saying there's like quite a broad spectrum that might just range from somebody experiencing something after a breakup or the loss of a partner, right through to people experiencing hallucinations and other things as part of bipolar or schizophrenia or some kind of medical condition that they may have and then there's a whole load of people in between so it's a broad massive spectrum yeah it's kind of thinking about how we think about experience and reality as well like subjective experiences are they less valid because mm-hmm. I mean, I know someone who's quite into was it like parapsychology and paraanthropology, and it's like people having kind of uncanny or spiritual experiences, and how that's kind of contextualized in the culture. And that depends a lot how it's thought of and valued or not. Yeah, and definitely, I mean, if you think about religion and mm. religious experiences, where people they may hear voices or experience vision, a number of things, and some of that can be perhaps due to some mental illness but it can also just be like almost like they're willing it I guess because they're so enthralled in experiencing like um like psychogenic illness yeah, I don't want to use the term hysteria because no. it's a very cold term for what mm. people might experience but yeah mm. and I do find that really fascinating as to what, mm. what people go through particularly when you have those large doesn't happen so much in this country but if you think about in America where they might have those large tents of people like literally thousands of people and then they might all speaking in tongues or experiencing kind of all sorts of holy and they start experiencing some very unusual beliefs so mm. you know that for example all the people on the other side of the stadium are worth less than they are and potentially by chanting certain things that they can make the players on the pitch suddenly play better <laughs> so oh, yeah. <laughs> i don't know i think i feel that the whole idea of reality you know we all have cognitive bias we all see things differently you know that stupid dress thing that came out like <laughs> years ago where everyone was like it's blue and gold and yeah. you know just something like as simple as that just well, that always because it's once you think about it, it's quite straightforward because it's just whether or not we think it's the context around it whether we think it's in bright light or shadow and you know inside or outside because when you show the whole photo with the dress hanging up in the window you can see you know your brain adjusts so it's mm-hmm. not a mystery it's just something that brains and eyes do yeah but it's it's an interesting brain trick I find those interesting because I can always see both so when it says two things I go oh so it's 
blue and gold or whatever it is and white and green and when I say the words I can see it in both and flick between them so I was getting really annoyed because people get really angry about this and then they're like no it is whatever it is and they're so fervent about it and I can't understand how people can see it differently to me you know that feeling like which they're experiencing they don't understand how somebody's seeing it in a in just one colour. And I'm like, why can't you see it's both? <laughs> it's just such an interesting brain trick. And therein we have the whole idea of mental health distress encapsulated. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, should we talk about the film? Yes. I mean, this, no, this is super interesting as well. I, I mean, yeah, I found the certainly the opening and then that becomes a kind of recurring dream sequence of the couple in bed and shows a little more each time and the kind of the stillness that reminded me of childhood fears like when I was allowed to sleep in my parents bed but then I was like what if they turned into monkeys in the night or monsters that's cute (laughs) I mean probably not when you're a child Um, that sounds terrifying (laughs) or one time I had a sleepover at my friends and she was um pretending she was possessed what (laughs) and I was just like hiding out and her mum found me on the landing and I was just like (laughs) she was like can't you sleep I'm like no no (laughs) (laughs) I've had a couple of people pretend they're possessed anyway I was just a very imaginative (laughs) easily frightened child to be fair if someone started acting like they were possessed Mm. I would probably be quite frightened myself Mm. like especially as either that or I'd be like cool Mm. but I'm not sure it could go two ways (laughs) also in terms of the kind of perceptual distortions where he kind of sees people's faces changing or elements missing because I've had that just on the street especially if I get like kind of hypervigilance and stuff and then seeing like if someone's got their hair in front of their face or like a dark scarf or hood and then my brain can't interpret it and it's just like that's a person without a face that's a person with a melting and usually faces actually yeah I mean I've never not that you would use the term psychosis I mean I think it's just anxiety I suppose I I don't believe that there's a world in which I don't believe in ghosts or demons and I don't believe there's a world in which but then I suppose I it's kind of branching out from my love of horror it's kind of I believe in a real threat of violence from other people but I probably exaggerate the amount that that's like watching a child running towards you with an umbrella and just being like ah someone's (laughs) charging me with a spear you know (laughs) Um, yeah that's relatable Mm. I think for me it's not my experience of my mental health Mm. so whilst I have experienced hallucinations those have been brought on by medications that I've been taking so I've always felt that that's very separate like that feels like there's a chemical reason for that to happen whereas I don't have that as a natural part of the mental illnesses that I or the mental conditions that I experience so I found it harder to relate to that it felt very scary to watch it and to watch someone go through it and I have a good friend who has bipolar and talked to me about his experience of just having a complete breakdown at one point and totally believing that people were out to get him and running away and those sorts of things that he's been through so I find it quite frightening but I don't find like I had a personal connection to that story in that sense. What did you find frightening about? So I think I find it frightening the loss of control 
So because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, control is incredibly important in my life. And so the idea of not understanding my reality is quite scary. And what it did link to me for is a real strong feeling around gaslighting. So having been in an abusive relationship in the past and gone through an experience where I was genuinely questioning my own reality a lot of the time, I didn't know whether I was going through something that was real because I was constantly being told that it wasn't real and that I was imagining it or that I was over-exaggerating. And that feeling of frustration and not knowing your own reality is something that comes up a lot in horror films. Mm. And so I definitely felt that in this film and it scared me, that Mm. sense for him of he doesn't know whether he is experiencing something and he does have a psychiatric problem that needs to be addressed. That's how he's sort of feeling. He's like, I need to go and see someone about it. Mm. Or is there actually genuinely an apocalypse and there are demons? That could also be true. At the end of the film, I'm still a bit like, meh. Yeah. (laughs) It's left, I'm sure, for you to interpret, isn't it? Yeah, completely, which I really like. That's interesting because I actually felt like I never really doubted that it was Wyatt's experience and not I never thought there was a supernatural entity I thought that he was very unwell I mean I found some of the images very scary but then I was mainly very worried that he would hurt someone or himself and also worried for him and it just made me sad I guess I'm sorry I didn't (laughs) I didn't want to make you sad that's all right but for that reason I wasn't sure whether it actually was a horror film because I felt like it was more kind of a drama about mental illness that showed that you kind of used horror tropes to show you what the experience is like of being in that kind of state of mind, mm. which he did very well. Um, yeah, I, I viewed it very much as a psychological horror where you're questioning whether it is a horror or not. And I kind of like those films. I always find them quite mm. interesting. I feel like for me, this film didn't connect with me as much as other films I've seen. And I think some of that is to do with the characters. The two men in it are very, and this is very much part of what he's trying to say as a director, but they're very masculine. There's a lot of toxic masculinity. There's a lot of like, there's a bromance between them, which is quite lovely. Like they have a deep friendship and it's really sweet. And to see them reconnecting and remembering like their friendship is lovely. But then there's also this issue around Christian has lots of insecurities about himself Mm. there's real elements of like very masculine experience that I don't relate to and so I kind of felt like I couldn't relate to them as much as I wanted to because yeah certainly earlier on we hear Kristen is playing these kind of motivational tapes to himself yeah and saying like that he's got to dominate and conquer and very much kind of individualist, almost kind of Jordan Peterson kind of MRA type (laughs) vibe. But it shows how useless that is to him, both in like his relationships and other, because, you know, you can't dominate and subjugate a redundancy. Mm. You know, he loses his job in like a very sudden and clinical way. Um, Quite brutal, really. Yeah. And then he sees this post-it. Actually, no, I suppose there's elements that may have been imagined by Christian. So it's not just Wyatt who has kind of subjective Mm -hmm. perspective. Because, yeah, there's there's a post-it 
that says great job dominating asshole sign yeah, yeah. everyone yeah <laughs> and like previous to that he's like oh i'm doing really well at work and everything's yeah. great and i'm yeah. awesome and it's like yeah. no no that's yeah. that's this fantasy that you've created for mm. yourself because you need it right now yeah because i don't know if you caught it but like i think on his tube ride home after getting mm. fired listening to the you are standing on a clear shore it's actually his ex-girlfriend who's yes. doing it yeah. and later on I think you also find out that they miscarried a child so there's a lot of grief that's mm. in this as well and the grief is so understated in this film yes yeah, the grief of the loss of his relationship as well isn't there because he's recently going through a divorce and so there's clearly a, a major life change that could be the catalyst for what he's going through as well they both, Wyatt and Christian, have both lost big relationships. Mm. And I, I, there's part of me that's like, well, are you blaming the ladies for <laughs> the Christian and Wyatt are going through? Mm. But I don't know. I think the way the women in the film that you actually see are portrayed, I, again, it still makes me question, like, how are you mm. portrayed? Like, what, how are you seeing women? Because you've got mm. both women are really feisty and very self-sufficient and very independent. And actually, I really like Mara. She's mm. awesome. Yeah. Um, but Mara is also the one that whose face just goes wah. So she's a threat. And then later on, you've got her friend who's like, if you do that to my mate again, I will kill you. So mm. the women that you physically see there are threatening women. And the women that you don't see are catalysts for a very threatening emotional situation. And is that, is she's that masculinity though then? Do you think that's like that feeds into that sense that women are threatening? Hmm. Well, because she's Christian's boss as well. Mm. You see him Googling, like, can I date my boss or something? Or how do you ask that <laughs> yeah. <I> boss? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. she eventually has to sack him as well. Yeah. And has potentially has the power to give Wyatt a job. But I suppose there's just the basement scene with Wyatt where he thinks that she's bringing him a secret message mm. and is kind of in on this conspiracy and is going to help him defeat the enemy. And she's just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it, that made me really tense because I yeah. thought he was going to kill her. Yeah, I did too. There's a real sense yeah. of like, is he a threat to her? Definitely. But then is he? Or is that just us as the spectators putting in our own feelings of threatening? Because she could easily, if he's seeing her as being his boss to tell him what to do next, she's leading him. She's his guide. It wasn't threatening. He wasn't threatening. He was asking, help me. What do I do next? Yeah. But it was her fear, I suppose, as well, because then she's just like, well, this is a serial killer basement and I am, you know, a, a woman <laughs> yes. on my own with you, you know. But yeah, she is amazing because, yes, yeah, she's just like, oh, I don't know, because then does that show to be strong, you have to be aggressive? But then I think that was effective for her to get out of difficult situations because she just kind of immediately shouted at him and swore and was just like, hell no. And no, then when no. he followed her down the street and she just like punched him and broke his nose and was like oh you're okay oh god yeah. <laughs> sorry didn't mean to break your nose but also yeah. don't yeah. mess miss yeah. <laughs> yeah but then also as well at some point in the movie she talks about her own experiences of hearing voices which for her show up as music which yeah. is something that her mother has which yeah, gosh, again is so much in this film when you start talking about it there's yeah. a lot more <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if any of it is like horror. And then the thing jumped out from behind. And then it was Mike Myers as a helium <laughs> balloon. What? From Wayne's World? No, hang on. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. the same. Though. Don't do that to me. I'm very no. old. I forget <laughs> <No>. things easily now. <laughs> no, they're both called Mike Myers. It was just yes. a... <laughs> 
silly joke, silly. <laughs> Polly, didn't you have a comment about the sort of army and how it links into some of the voices that he's hearing? Yeah, because Wyatt is kind of being trained or groomed into a kind of soldier for the good fight, basically, <laughs> against mm. the enemy, whoever that is. Um, and the voice on the phone tells him that is a demon, that is not your friend. And there's a big list of like, it's not your neighbour, it's not your loved one. It's, you know, it's kind of a bit like Elements of It Follows as well, because mm-hmm. it can be anyone. Yeah. But then it's simultaneously, it's not that it's posing, it's that those people have gone now and that they've been replaced. It's interesting in terms of the masculinity stuff and vulnerability, that is kind of how you need to view other people in order to dominate and in order to that actually human beings are made for connection yeah and not for violence and destruction because actually people have immense amounts of training to be able to kill people in battle scenarios and still have terrible psychological trauma from that mm-hmm. um i agree we're definitely social creatures and we're definitely into connecting with others and that's why this period of the pandemic has been so difficult Mm. for many people but also throughout the whole history of humanity we found ways to fight with each other so whilst war is a construction of our times and something that we have built and created we've always found ways to fight and deal with our aggression in physical senses yeah oh yeah I'm not saying that violence doesn't exist but I'm saying maybe because then there's always in groups and out groups and that's like a big psychology thing so maybe god maybe it's totally human I think I just know because it reminded me also of that Black Mirror episode where the soldiers are having some sort of augmented reality so that they can view the other people they're killing as um, monstrous aliens and it turns Mm -hmm. out they're just kind of scared refugees basically which actually I mean, this is going off piece a little bit, but that links into something that they have done with weapons. Mm. So they've made weapons that are used from far away, more like video games, partly because people are so used to using them so that they will be able to use those controls. But it also does dehumanise the people at the other end if they go into that psychological space of playing a game. Which ties in very nicely with the whole idea of reality and... Not reality mm. as yeah. well. Yeah. I was just thinking as well about the whole othering that occurs, mm. you know, so there's the breakdown of you as an individual, as a person that occurs in that sort of training, but also that othering of whoever it is that you're pointed yeah. at. Sorry to take it back to that whole space of, but again, for a lot of people who are in distress, there is that othering that goes on. Ah, okay, yeah. so you're someone who has insert diagnosis. Mm. And you are othered yeah. instantly. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. has huge implications for you in so many different ways. Um, yeah, it's that's a common that's a common thing. So for me as a feminist, it's very common within healthcare that women are treated differently, but then there's also othering around, you know, your race or being transgender, all of those things will contribute to perceptions and they will impact the way that you're treated by other mm-hmm. people you know and any of the protected characteristics and yet uh, i was just gonna say yet the main guys in the film Mm. are exactly the epitome of what people are othered against it's two yeah two white guys Mm. and we're all othered if we're not that and yeah i suppose there's um perhaps a class element 
because I think in terms of the redundancy scenario, the kind of precariousness of even like the American, you know, lower middle class yeah. in capitalism. Yeah, absolutely. But also I was thinking, isn't it true that younger white men, you know, likely to experience suicide and depression and mental illness, that they're kind of like in the higher statistical categories? It's actually older. So men over 40, mm. at least in the UK. Sorry, mm. I'm not aware. So in a sense, you know, they are actually the underdogs in this sense, I suppose. It's such a weird thing, isn't it? Mm. But then they're also being the, the rejecting class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they have all of the power and mm. none of the power. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of who you have to other in order to feel strong or dominant and what barriers you need up to not feel vulnerable and be vulnerable with other people. Yeah. And uh, answers on a postcard. <laughs> like... I mean, I think if we could crack this, then we'd probably, like crack a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, horror. Watch it, people. Gonna <laughs> have nightmares. <laughs> Asking the big questions. Slightly different to like I don't know um, avocado women or whatever it was. Oh. <laughs> That's a silly film. If you want to watch a silly <laughs> film, watch that film. <laughs> so, shall we talk about like they're both? We've talked a little bit about this. We've skirted around it, but they're both quite lost people. Yeah. They both have vulnerability to them. Mm. So, shall we talk about what we see in that? Uh, it's that romance when they're on the sofa and they're like pretending to be knights. Like, and they just go full on D&D geek and you're just like, oh my God, I love you guys. It's so cute. And yeah, you get to see them as children. Yeah. Behind all of that dominator Mm. and, you know, distress. You get to see this really clear love, which I think is a really beautiful moment, actually. And in the end, the key is vulnerability. The only way out of the situation, the only way to something better is like there's kind of Christian's final gesture of trust in the end, which is very powerful. I mean, kind of a very risky gambit because mm. basically he allows Wyatt to tie him up and gag him and blindfold him and because he suspects that he's one of the enemy. Yeah. I don't think you should do that. I'm just going to put that out. No. <laughs> I think if you no. have someone who is in extreme distress and is experiencing an alternative reality... Don't do as Christian does, no. but do in as he does in terms of respecting that that's their experience yeah. and listen to them and, you know, be empathic to their distress. Like, I think the rest of the film handles everything really beautifully and gently. Mm. And then that bit, which I guess is kind of the horror bit or could be seen as a horror bit. Mm. That bit to me just felt like the tabloid moment, you know, like... Yeah gets so maniac with 12 knives as hand throws someone down a tube drain you know Mm. it's that tabloid nonsense moment in that film for me yeah it's kind of important narratively in a way you need to bring something that shows the love between them is so strong and the trust he's prepared to put his life on the line and I sort of I see how that is important narratively, but I know what you're saying, that it yeah. doesn't lend itself to being the kindest portrayal no. because perhaps he's not as dangerous like we naturally believe that he is just with what he's going through. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, I, I mean, I know in kind of campaigns to destigmatize mental health and psychosis, the statistic that like 
people with psychosis are much more likely to hurt themselves than anyone else. Um, and they're kind of false conflation in a lot of horror movies of psychosis and psychopathy. Does this film tread the right line in terms of... Because he has a hell of a lot of concealed weapons. He's a carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> they're tools of his trade. He's a carpenter. Um. Nail guns are pretty threatening, whoever has them, I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'd agree with that. I don't know. I mean, it needs that in the narrative. Mm. It is a horror movie. It's not yeah. a documentary. No. No. I think generally I found it to be quite a sensitive portrayal of mental mm. health. Yeah. As Holly's saying, it's not showing you the person that's experiencing this as a raging homicidal maniac. So that's nice for a change. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to really understand them as people and yeah. what they're going through. It's not portrayed in the way that it normally is. And so you get to see them as actual people and as humans that are going through something and you get to mm. really understand kind of their motivation and the experiences that bring them to where they are. So I think that's quite positive. I felt quite positively about that. And I think at the time, that's probably why it received quite a lot of acclaim as well, because it's very different to a lot of the ways horror films tend to treat mental illness. Yeah. Oh, what's that film? The one with the old people, the older people, um, and the two children that end up going there. Uh, where they're like grandparents. Yes. Visit them. I can't yes. Is it called The Visit? Yes, yes. I think oh, so. I haven't seen this. See, that scared the caboodle out of me. But like, yeah, that's not really treating any kind of mental health issues. That's doing your traditional kind of, mm. yeah. Yeah, treating them badly. There's another film which I haven't watched. I don't know if you have but I also can't remember the name of it um, we do like films really yeah. <laughs> it's a film about a woman with dementia the relic no 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 that's a new one but yeah it's an older film like that with a similar theme to the relic but yeah it's about a lady who goes missing goes wandering at night she has dementia but actually maybe she's not got dementia and Ooh. crazy monstery monstrous type thing um, and that looks really interesting for that sort of portrayal mm. but yeah. i need to hunt that down in terms of my interests i really want to watch repulsion but in terms of roman polanski being trash i really Ooh. don't want to watch repulsion so I mean, that's we annoying a whole <laughs> podcast couldn't we about can you separate the art from the yeah. horrendous paedophile and various other things I just haven't reconciled myself with that. There are some things where I'm like, no, I can't listen to that or watch that ever again because of that person. Mm. And then there are other things where I like try and justify it because I love it so much. Mm, Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but you know, and I just don't know how we do that. Society needs to come up with a line for us. I need guidance. Mm. What are the nice guidance for this? Guidance. <laughs> oh, yeah. As long as they're nice. <laughs> yeah, I guess as well, there's also like, it's obviously not your kind of slasher or supernatural or monster kind of horror, even though I still think that potentially it could be all true and that there could actually be an invasion that they just don't show us that's happening outside of the basement that we haven't actually seen. But I think it does a really good job of showing the horror of being scared. Yeah. Just really, really scared for yourself and also for the people around you. And like, I just think it's done kindly or as kindly as it can be done. Yeah. yeah. 
So in your role, Jane, as a sort of mental health advocate, you do something, don't you, uh, with a group for people called Hearing Voices. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, if that's okay. Um, thank you. Uh, so myself and a good friend, we are part of the Hearing Voices movement, which is a global movement sort of run by um, a charity called uh, Intervoice. And basically what it is, it's a peer support space. It's a peer support movement. And so individuals who have experiences under that Hearing Voices umbrella, you can go to peer support groups some of them are are in sort of service settings but there are also some community groups and ours is a community group we used to have it in a really lovely vegan calf and in the in the now uh we're online but we've also started trying to do in person uh so we do one in person a month and one online a month and yeah it's just a hearing voices group where if you have that experience you go along and you talk to other people who also identify as having that experience and it's open to any understanding like i was sort of saying earlier for some people the term psychosis is actually quite useful for some people it's actually caused a lot of extra trauma so there will be individuals who believe who make sense of their experiences um, either through a spiritual uh, or religious way there are some people who make sense of their experience through mental health there are some people who make sense of the experience just as being part of a neurodiverse society mm. um yeah it's, it's just a really open open space to explore and to connect and to support each other so ours is called talking sense we have like a website that's called that. Talkingsense.com or .co.uk? Yeah, it's talking-sense.co.uk. And we are on some of those social things and never actually do any of those social things at all. But we're very good at answering our emails. Yeah, and then there's also some really good sites mm. that offer support for people who are supporting people who are having these experiences. And there's a really great group for young adults, uh, so children and young adults who are also having these experiences like there's a forum and regular groups and things like that so i'll send you loads of info (laughs) thank you Um, i think that's really interesting to sort of mention peer support so i have had formal cbt and counseling and stuff for my ocd but it wasn't until the pandemic where i started making use of peer support groups Mm. just because you know my access to some of the things that i would normally access was limited during the pandemic for obvious reasons and so i started making use of some online peer support groups and i found that has done so much more for me than some of the formal Mm. routes that i've gone through just hearing other people talking about their experiences and kind of knowing I'm not actually completely off the wall like other people experience this as well mm. and it makes you feel less of a bad person so I think something oh. about OCD where you have intrusive thoughts you do feel like you're a bad person because you're experiencing and going through and thinking about things which if you said them to other people would shock them and upset them so mm. you begin to wonder whether yourself you might be quite a bad person So I think that's quite helpful to know that other people feel that as well. And that actually, no, you're not a bad person. You're just experiencing something in a way that's slightly different to other people. But then there are these other people who are also experiencing it the same way as you. And that's just super helpful. So Hmm. one up for peer support groups. Yeah, Yeah. it's really a powerful experience to know that your distress, which usually can be very isolating, actually can also flip side 
bring you to new friendships, new relationships, and actually weirdly can be less isolating. You find other people who are going through something similar. Like it's, it's really powerful. Mm, definitely. All right. So I guess that's it from us. So thank you very much from Jane, Polly and I. This is another edition of the Panic Pixie Screen Girls. Thanks for coming, Jane. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jane. That was great. (laughs) And we will see you again next time. Bye.